this morning. This is going to be so odd sitting and teaching. But uh, turn to Romans chapter number 7. Romans chapter number 7. I'm just excited to get to wear warm-up pants. I might just stretch this injury out for another couple months. What do you think? Yeah. I appreciate the encouragement. Amen. It's good. We're going to do it. And um, my wife will not appreciate me milking this any more than I already am uh, at home. Uh, but Romans chapter number 7, we're going to spend a couple weeks uh, on the, uh, the topic. We've been in our Parenting 101 and trying to apply that to all. Um, in our church, and but certainly there's a niche here for uh, for parents. But this morning we're gonna uh, we're gonna kind of embark the next couple weeks on understanding how to use the law with your children, or really just kind of even in your own life how to how to properly use God's law. Last week or two weeks ago we um, taught on, of course, using grace. Uh, but how can we properly use the law? And we're going to spend a lot of time uh, kind of breaking down some of this chapter here. But we're going to just, for this morning, we're just going to look at verse number 7. And we'll uh, revisit it here in a little bit. Romans 7, verse number 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. Okay, and so when we're thinking uh, about our, you know, parenting, who, who, who would this morning say, it's so much easier to lay the law down with our kids than to um, allow grace? How many would say, you know what, yeah, that, 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 that's, that, that's, that's a reality. It's so much easier just to you know what, hey, this is, this is what the law says, this is what the rules of our home are, you've broken those rules, rather than trying to see, hey, where can I, where can I meet that law, uh, balancing that out with, with grace. And uh, people are always asking me, um, over, over the years of ministry, for an effective strategy for, for this or for that, kind of this guarantee formula for whatever it is that they're struggling with, what is the Ryan? What is the what is the proven wreck or the proven track that will help me raise you know godly you know kids or, or or whatever it is that they're struggling with? And I'll be honest with you, I try to impart at that time some form of you know wisdom that could be uh, you know just biblical wisdom that can be helpful to them during that time. But you know what they need? And I'll be honest with you, you know what I need? We need a really big picture, and you hear me say this all the time, of a gospel worldview that can explain the situations in which we are living in. You hear me kind of tie in the gospel to, to everything. And, you know, as we are considering parenting, uh, if you and I are going to not only just cope with parenting, if, you're not, if you and I are going to not only just, you know, just kind of get by and just, oh, wait till they get out of our home, but instead... If we're going to thrive, if we're going to have uh, the vision uh, that we need and the joy that we're supposed to have as parents, then we don't need just some seven steps on how to produce great kids. Okay, we need a much bigger view. We need a much grander scope of of parenting, and we find that in the gospel. We find that in God's relationship to us. We need 
kind of God's helicopter view of what he has called us to do, okay? And uh, when you think of um, how it applies to marriage, um, if you want a healthy relationship with your spouse built on the foundation of unity and understanding and love and grace, then you know what? You don't need to go to BuzzFeed or whatever it is you'd go to and find out all of the next, you know, ten wonderful ways to, uh, you know, go on a romantic date, okay? I'm all for that. I like taking Sarah out, you know, on a date and, you know, and, and it being romantic and thinking, you know, outside the box. But you know what Sarah and I really need? What we really need is, um, you know, that the... The, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ to be central in our marriage. We need the big picture themes of Scripture to be the guide more than anything else. Not just, not just fun, not just, not just romance, but the, 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 the big principles of the Word of God. How about church growth strategies or discipleship curriculums or evangelistic training sessions? You know, those don't necessarily do well if the grand themes of the gospel are not at its central uh, at its central focus. All four of those things, okay? Um, but we need to be awestruck by the glory of God and captivated by the love of our Savior and broken by the lost and blind condition in the blind condition of the human race. So here's the bottom line. What is missing in all the area of everyday life are the big grand perspectives and principles, as I've already said in this series, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. These, these perspectives, these principles, they're, uh, they're radical. They're counterintuitive. Uh, we spoke a couple weeks ago about how uh, in your living room and you're walking down the hallway to your son or daughter's room that has just broken the law. We'll talk about that the next couple weeks. Uh, there's someone walking there with you. That Christ is uh, there living inside of you. Okay, And so we've talked about our calling. I'm just going to kind of review since we've had a week off. Uh, we've talked about our calling, how you and I, we are, uh, we are called to be ambassadors. We are called to be um, game changers, so to speak, on this world. We're supposed to speak for God and to, to live for God. And nothing is more important in your life, really, than being one of God's tools to form a human soul. Okay, Whether it is your biological child or not, no matter what life stage you are in, the the forming of the next generation is the calling for every single one of us. Okay, Now, obviously, my first calling would be to my two kiddos. But the ultimate calling of being an ambassador is representing God to the world around us, to the next generation. Then we talked about parenting with grace. Turn to Ephesians 3 real quick. Ephesians chapter number 3. We'll get back to... Uh, Romans 7, mainly more so next week as we kind of go down through it. This is kind of more of uh, introductory, but look at Ephesians 3, verse number 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in where? Talk to me. Us. So the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ, by Christ Jesus, throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. And so God never, with the calling, God never calls you to anything without also equipping you for the job. 
And what does he equip us with? Himself. He gives us Himself. He gives us the Spirit of Christ living within us. This power of Christ. This All wisdom is found in Him. That is within the Spirit of Christ that's living in us. And so everywhere He sends us, we don't ever go alone. No conversation. No, no difficult situation that parenting brings about. Do we ever go at it alone? Do we ever go at it in our own wisdom if we know the Lord? Okay, We've got the wisdom of the Lord in us. We've got the power of the Lord in us. And so now I want to shift a little bit from the grace aspect, although there's going to still be a theme of that here this morning, and that's to talk about the law. That's what we're going to talk about the next couple weeks. Your children need God's law. Okay, They need God's law. God's law is not some you know, red-headed stepchild that, you know, you don't ever want to, you know, see, they, they need God's law, but you cannot ask the law to do what only grace can do. Okay, let me say that again. You and I cannot ask the law to do what only grace can do. Okay, even here in Romans 7, you know, uh, verse number 7, he talks about how the law exposed his need. But as we're going to go through in, 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 the, in the next week or so, that the law actually can't rescue anybody. Okay, the law, can't, the law can't actually bring about any real lasting change. Okay, So you and I, we will use the law with our children, and we should, and I'm going uh, to spend a lot of time on that over the next two weeks. However, don't expect the law to do what you really want in their life. okay? It can't do what, 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 what grace can do. And so as we spend a few weeks looking at this topic of the law, I, I, I want to just kind of say a few things. In my years of pastoring, counseling, and parenting, and that's not all that long, 15 years, I found an all too common and dangerous theme among Christians and amongst myself. No one lays down, hear what I'm about to say, I know that's loud. I want you to hear this. No one lays down the law better than ones who think they are keeping it themselves. No one is better at laying down the law than someone who thinks that they are keeping it themselves. Okay? And so at one point, this probably wasn't the case. In the early days of our faith, remember, try to picture when you got saved. Okay, and how many of you have been saved for over over 40 years? Raise your hand. Okay, some of you you're gonna have to go way back. Okay, thinking I'm not saying you're old. I didn't say that. All right, I'm just not 40 yet, so I got to keep it, you know, over 40. All right, and uh, so you've been saved for over 40 years. Okay, how many over 30 years? Raise your hand. Okay, how many over 20 years? Raise your hand. Okay, and you, you can kind of go on down. So go back, try to go back to the moment or early on after you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. What happened is, is you were overwhelmed with the desperate need for God's grace. You understood, man, this is where I was, and God, your grace is so what I need. We saw our sin in our own lives everywhere. And we were constantly thankful for the Redeemer, right? We were constantly in it. And we ought to stay there, but sometimes what happens? Sometimes, early on in our Christianity, we were patient with people who were struggling around us. 
You want to know why? Because we understood that, you know what, there's really not much of a difference between us. I'm still struggling. I'm still, you know, kind of trying to, trying to grow in this area. But then we grew up, right? And uh, things begin to change. If we're not careful, we feel as if we deserved what we got in Christ. I deserve to be one of the good old boys. I deserve to, to, be, in the, to be in the club. I deserve to be in the community of God's children. We became proud of our theological knowledge. Okay? Now let me ask you a question. Should you and I grow in our theological knowledge? Yes or no? For sure we should. Should you, those of you that have been saved 20, 30, 40 years, should you know more than someone that's just recently saved? Yes or no? Yeah, absolutely. But if we're not careful, we can, we can boast in that. We can begin to, we can begin to think, yeah, okay, well I, you know, and we become a little less patient. We start looking down on brothers or sisters and we like, yeah, they're just too lazy to, to grow in their Christian faith or we look down on them because the fruit of the gospel hasn't been so evident. I'm not necessarily saying this is what you do. I'm just, this is what sometimes happens in Christendom. We, we start out with this radical understanding of this need for grace, but then oftentimes what we do is we then transition to think that the law and the rules and the regulations and the standards and a word that you might know, the legalistic way of doing things, can then produce what only grace could do at the beginning. And so I'm concerned in my life that sometimes we are we're engaged in groups, in settings, but we're not always truly open. We're not always truly honest. How many times has someone said, Hey, how you doing, brother? How you doing, sister? Great. And your week stunk. Come on, right? I'll be honest with you. I, this morning, this message is so amazing how God dovetailed things together. I'm talking about the 11 o'clock message. And to where uh, we're going through verse by verse these 2 Thessalonians. And uh, we're going to be um, looking at chapter 3 on the advancement of the gospel. But he starts with praying for us. And man, I'm asking you to pray for me. This week, and just having to elevate all day is the most. And then, you know, these kids that we've been talking about, you know, they just... Now I'm not in the office, I'm trying to study at home, and my, 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 the kids that I love so dearly, I think, drove me crazy. And, uh, you know, and so, but you realize, um, you realize what we, what we need. And if you've ever wondered if you need, par- if you've, you've ever wondered if you need grace, man, be a parent, because you need it, you need it big time, okay? And so, uh, well, what will happen is, is that we're not always truly open, we're not always truly honest, we're not always... Uh, willing to say, hey, you know what? I struggle too, because we're whatever for whatever reason we don't want we, we we don't want people to see that. We're we can become quick to minister to others. That's a good thing, but we don't always want to be ministered to. Okay, uh, if we're not careful in our Christianity, in our growth, which this part wouldn't be growth, but as we're growing as a Christian, sometimes. There's this where we can see the sin in others. We have a hard time seeing the sin in our own lives. That's why often you'll hear me say, it, it, I'll point out things that maybe that I'm struggling with or going on in my life. Why? Because I don't want you to ever 
view uh, me as the hero or anything like that. That's always Christ, always Christ. And so, do you believe this statement that no one gives grace better than the one who thinks they are in desperate need themselves? Yeah. Then I think the flip side of that is true also. No one lays down the law more than someone who actually thinks they're keeping it well. Okay? And so when we think we've got the boxes checked, when we think we are this perfect, you know, it's so beautiful that I'm teaching this way, you know, like uh, this is not like sitting, I don't like that, but, you know, sometimes people think that it's got to be a certain way and this and that, and, you know, you know how I like to dress on Sundays, this isn't necessarily it, okay? Although I might milk this for a couple months, you know, this is nice. And, uh, but the reality is that sometimes that's what we connect things to. Uh, rather than the working of the Holy Spirit, you know, in our lives. And so, here's what I want us to do. Okay, we ready? Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy 1, please. 1 Timothy chapter 1. We are most loving. We are most kind. We are most understanding when you and I realize that we need the advice or we need the ministering that we will give others. Okay? You and I become the most loving, most caring, most kind, most honestly, most effective when you and I realize that we actually need also what often we will be shoveling out, okay? And um, we, well, we're most humble and gentle when we realize the person we are trying to minister to, whether that's our child or, for those of you that don't have children, the person you're trying to minister to when you begin to realize that you're more like them than you're not, okay? Let's see what Paul says here. First Timothy chapter 1, look at verse number 15, please. Buckle our seatbelts. Don't worry, I'll give you grace here at the end. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. This, of course, the human author, inspiration of the Holy Spirit would be the Apostle Paul. Okay? How be it, for this cause I obtained mercy that in me first Christ Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. I'm persuaded in my life, as, as God's been teaching me, that one of the reasons we don't do it well around our unbelieving arena that we're in, whether that be your neighbor, whether that's even maybe, could even be your child, but that, hello, but that we don't, no worries, not a worry at all. That, but what happens is, is that we don't, we don't do well with unbelievers or the lost or our area, okay? The sins of our area. That we, we, we don't do well with that. That we are not the kind of maybe presence that the gospel calls us to be as ambassadors. It's not because we forgot who they are. I believe it's because we have forgotten who we are. 
We haven't forgotten what they need. Sometimes we have forgotten what we need. Please allow me to say this. It's very important that if you are ever going to meet the people in which God is placed in your life, and you are going to incarnate, right, ambassador, you're going to speak and you're going to live for God, you're going to incarnate His love and His grace here on this world, then you have to confess, and we got to do it here this morning, in your heart, that you are more like. We don't like this. I get that. That we're more like the person that we're trying to minister to than we're willing to admit. Ryan, I'm so glad I came to church today. Yippee! You just said that I'm a mess. I did. And I, and I did it sitting down. Is that okay? Yeah. Did it sitting down. Because the minute you and I begin to think that somehow we're fundamentally unlike them, apart from Christ, you begin to have a more self-righteous, condemning, negative nature towards your relationship with them. Okay? I love this passage. And the reason why I love it is because the Apostle Paul, you know what he's saying? He's saying that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Amen? Praise God that he came to save sinners. Because that's all we are. (laughs) That's all there is. And he says he came to save sinners and he does not say, and I'm thankfully, I'm not one of those. What does he say? Of whom I was chief. No, no, no. Ladies and gentlemen, it's in present tense. Present tense. Of whom I am chief. I mean, it would, it would totally be, honestly, it would be better if it said was. You'd be like, well, yeah, I mean, the Apostle Paul killed Christians. How many of you have ever killed Christians? Now, don't raise your hand, okay? We have police officers. Vince, you got, you know, you can, you can arrest them. But a lot of times we think of, yeah, well, yeah, the, the Apostle Paul, when he was Saul, right? Before he was on the road to Damascus, you know, he had letters and he was bringing Christians to be judged. Some of them uh, literally dragging them uh, by way of the dirt. And yeah, of course, he he was a sinner, big time back then. That's not what Paul says. Of whom I am chief. And keep, keep going down here. Look at verse 16. Howbeit, for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should show hereafter, which should hereafter believe on him to everlasting life. Okay? Paul says, he says, I get why Jesus saved me. I get it. He's, he's going to use me to demonstrate how patient he actually is. God's going God's to use me that, to say, you know what, Paul, you're, you're, you're still not perfect. Okay, Now you and I, we know that in Christ, our righteousness, we're seen from the heavenlies as you know, we're seated in the heavenly as righteous and pure and holy and accepted in the beloved and praise God for all of that. That's how, that's how God sees us. But you and I, in, so all, it's the blood that is what is 
seen from heaven on your behalf and, and the works of Christ and His righteousness and His always obeying. However, your everyday, moment-by-moment life, I'll be honest with you, it's something other than that, right? There's, there's bumps and there's falling, there's struggles and this and that, and, and, you know, and we're thankful for those things. But he's saying, you know what? I'm thankful that God's committed to me to, for the long term. He's going to see me through from the already and the not yet. Okay? The, you know, the, 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 the salvation with Christ, he's, he's going to see me through to when I'm going to see him face to face. Okay? And so, if you move towards your children, practically back to our kind of uh, back to our lesson here, if you move towards your children with that humble confession that you still don't have it all together. If you'll move towards your neighbor, towards the person that God has put in your sphere of influence for you to be an ambassador towards, if you move towards that person, specifically our children in our study here, with the idea that I mess up too, I stumble too, there's times when... I get it wrong. How you think and say and do things that you still should not say and think and do. If you'll advance towards that person that you're trying to mentor and admit that your only hope is the dramatically merciful and patient God, hear me, it changes lives. It shepherds people. And if we'll realize of how, and as Paul talks about how she's so long-suffering to me, God is so patient with me. It's like with the Apostle Paul. Right? When you understand uh, when Paul was writing you know, these letters to Timothy, and he was marching towards his death. Okay? He was, he, he, he was close to you know, the ultimate sanctification. Okay, of uh, you know, of, uh, of of seeing Christ, and he's saying, and "Listen, I'm, I am still a project. God is still working with me. And so, if we approach, if we approach our children, and, um, for example, this th- this week, um, Danielle was, I, I don't know if Danielle was playing with something or not, but she had grabbed something of Blake's. And Blake hadn't been playing for it with it for at least, you know, you know, an hour, right? And then all of a sudden he goes over and he says, I was playing with that. You're like, son, no, you weren't. You weren't playing with that. And so we had a little, you know, we had a little one of those uh, you know, parent child, you know, powwows that, you know, you gotta do, you know, a million times over, right, before they're out of the home. You know, and I began to I began to kind of I began to talk to both of my children there, uh, but more so more so Blake and I'm trying to you know talk to him about selfishness and things like that. And the Holy Spirit of God it was this week He just said, "Hey Ryan, you're super selfish too." Is that okay for me to admit that? I'm super selfish. And um, and so I began to just say to Blake, I said, "You know, Blake, hey, I want you to know something that." that daddy still struggles with this type of selfishness. You know, when someone takes the last piece of chicken and it was mine. And it was mine. 
That's what I get for being a, a rascal, right? Selfish. You know, someone takes the last piece of dessert and I make a stink over it. Whatever. That was mine. Or something was in the refrigerator and I had the name Ryan written all over it. And we don't really do that, but, you know, it's selfish. Selfish, selfish, selfish. Someone cuts me off. I mean, come on, someone relate with me on that. I'm like, that was my space. Right? But I didn't share all those illustrations with Blake, but I just talked about, you know, you know, daddy is... Daddy is selfish too. And daddy needs, daddy need, so being selfish is wrong. And so I didn't, I didn't negate, I didn't negate the law. We'll talk more about that next week. I didn't negate the law, but instead I allowed the, you broke a law to then be an avenue for what really change is. And the agent of change would be the grace in that. And it's that I still need the grace of God. I am still running to Christ in my selfishness. Blake, I'm still trying to ask God to help me grow, and I'm 37 years old. And it's like, you know what? We don't, you know, we, we become adults. It's just like bigger problems, right? But it's the same sins. They just tend to be, they just tend to be bigger. When we, when we can approach, and I'm not always perfect like this, trust me, because sometimes, man, I just lay down the law, and that's all I ever get. Okay, so I'm not trying to prop me up as a hero, but I was trying to just kind of give you a, an illustration this week where I did obey the Holy Spirit. I don't always. And to where it's like, hey, Blake, you're, you're struggling with this because, because you're a sinner and you're in need of someday salvation in Christ when you can understand things like that. But, you know, Daddy, Daddy still struggles with that too. I think that will go a long way. Now if you're talking about your neighbor, you're talking about your coworker, you're talking about, you know, the person you're trying to reach... Okay? They're radical sinners, right? That's what lost people are. That's what they do. That's what, that's what their nature is. And so rather than approach them with a, ooh, instead you can enter into their world and say, hey, you know what? I still struggle with some of those same things. And it's probably going to be on a little bit of a different degree. But humility fuels the gospel. Fuels parenting. It fuels shepherding and um, fulfilling the calling that God has placed on all of us. I want to tell you a quick story. Um, uh, the, the, the man's name is Jim Benny. Um, he's written several books on parenting and marriage and stuff like that. And so I'm, I'm just going to read it word, word for word here. Please forgive me for that. I once heard a pastor unwittingly verbalize this problem well. My friend and I were at a large Christian life conference listening to a well-known pastor speak on family worship. He told stories of the zeal and discipline and dedications of the great fathers of our faith to personal and family worship. In other words, they'd, they would have family devotions in the evening, okay, things like that. And then he began to paint astounding pictures of what their private and family devotions looked like. I think we all felt it was very convicting and discouraging. I felt the weight of the burden of the crowd as they listened. I was saying to myself, comfort us with grace. Comfort us with grace. But the grace never came. On the way back to the hotel, my friend and I rode with a speaker and another pastor we, who, who was our driver. Our pastor driver clearly felt the burden and asked the speaker a brilliant question. He said, if a man in your congregation came to you and said, Pastor, I know I'm supposed to have devotions with my family, 
But things are so chaotic at my house that I can barely get myself out of bed and get the children fed and off to school. I don't know how I would ever be able to pull off devotions too. What would you say to him? And the guy's response, it's not enhanced in any way. Benny goes on to say, the, 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 the speaker at the conference said, I would say to him, I'm a pastor, which means I carry many more burdens for many more people than you do. And if I can pull off daily family worship, you should be able to do so as well. And Benny goes on to say, there was no identifying with the man's struggle. There was no ministry of grace. With little compassion or understanding, he laid the law down even more heavily. Does that, I mean, honestly, does that pastor's response, does that make you angry? Man, it sure, sure makes me angry. Like, what are you, what in the world, why would you, why would you do that? Yet sometimes I do the same thing. At home, it's honestly sometimes easier to mete out the law than it is to extend the grace. I can be blind to what's going on in my own heart that I can't see the desperate need that my children have for the rescuing grace of Jesus Christ. I think Sometimes I think that I've arrived. Sometimes I don't think I need what other people need. How about you? Is that ever your reality? I think sometimes in my own life, I think sometimes I'm more like the I'm more like the Pharisee in Luke 18. Turn to Luke 18, please. Luke 18. I know it's a tough subject. Thanks for thanks for letting me share it. Luke 18, verse 9. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. That's kind of what we're trying to guard from, right? Okay, this, so this parable will, be, will fit right in. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. All too often we, we stray from our originally found identity that is vertical. Man, when we first got saved, we clung to our vertical identity in Christ because that's all there was. Because we couldn't cling to anything else. And sometimes what happens is in our Christian life, certainly in my parenting over the years, we can migrate away from that vertical identity to a horizontal identity which becomes our personal righteousness. Okay? And when we get to that place... Um, we become heavy, heavy lawgivers. Now, I kind of dovetailed the grace again with this because next week we're going to kind of we're going to get into a lot of how the law is needed, and we're going to kind of we're going to kind of go through uh, the, this Romans seven. You know, Paul Paul even says in the text there, he said, you know, how would I have known sin, you know, except for the law? 
But what's the law supposed to do, right? It's supposed to be a schoolmaster. It's supposed to really push us to Christ. And so, you know what I think the law is? I think the law is glorious. Not something that we should, you know, try to necessarily, um, you know, just totally disparage of the law and say, oh, I no, 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 no. It's actually a beautiful thing when you realize that the purpose of it is not for you to try to fulfill it, okay? Instead, it's for you to find rest in the one that has fulfilled it, in Christ. It's to, it's to push you it's to push you to him. And so as we're, as we're journeying through this, as this ambassadorial role certainly applied to moms and dads, to their biological children, but I think each of us can apply that God wants us to impact those that are around us. And so then our lesson for our, kind of the, uh, the way we can step away from today would be often the way we view ourselves is going to be the way that we treat others. Okay, So if we feel like we are just great with the law. If we feel like we can check all those boxes and you know we're good with God, then I know that in Christ we are. But I think you understand my spirit with this. Like you know, hey, I'm good with God. You know, I don't do anything. Then you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna be lawgivers. Boom, boom. And we're gonna crush our kids. We're gonna we're gonna crush our neighbors. We're gonna we're gonna crush the person that's down the street that is living in an egregious lifestyle that is an affront to your Christianity. Okay? We're gonna we're gonna crush those people with the law rather than using the law, right? Jesus did with the woman at the well. He said, hey, go get your husband, right? Jesus knew that the man that she was with wasn't her husband and that she'd already had five. And so he confronts that, but he also does so with it coupled with grace. Prior to that, he says, hey, um, water's springing forth, living water. You'll, You'll never thirst again. Oh, yeah, I want that, I want that. All right, well, let's deal with the sin, okay? And then moves on. The woman that's caught in the act of adultery. Okay? He writes in the sand. All of his, all of the accusers go away. Who knows what he wrote in the sand? I don't know. No one knows. Bible doesn't say. Okay? And then he says to the woman, where's your accusers? He says, neither do I condemn thee. What does he say? Now go sin no more. And so we, we must use the law. Okay? We must, we must confront with, with sin and, and with the law. But we can't just... We can't just crush them with that. And so here's a couple prayers for you this week, and then we'll be done. Okay? Before you, before you get up tomorrow, okay? Before you start the craziness of your day, all right? I want you to pray these three prayers. Lord, I am a desperate person in need of help today. That's going to take some humbling for me to pray that, right? I am a desperate person in need of help today. Okay? Let's try to pray that tomorrow. And prayer number two, Lord, in your grace, would you send your helpers my way? Lord, in your grace, would you send your helpers my way? And then here's the third, here's the third prayer. Lord, would you give me the ability to accept that help when it comes? Because oftentimes we like to help. And that's a good thing. We like to minister. It's a good thing. But sometimes we don't always like that ministering or that help coming back our way. But where we, if we live in a, if we live in a way that says, you know what, I don't have everything figured out. It's not all, it's not all rosy in the Johnson life and Johnson home. 
then I think we just become far more effective with the law. Okay? We don't use it to beat people. Instead, we use it to shepherd people to the actual grace that is found in Christ. We'll talk more about that uh, next week. So let's have a word of prayer. And then if you'll allow me to be rude and stay up here so I don't have to go down the stairs, and I'll probably even sit during worship, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll make it happen. I'm so glad you're here. I'm sorry if I don't officially get to greet you. Love you. Missed you last week. And uh, I believe the Lord has something uh, great for us there this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for, uh, Lord, just the power of it. And I thank you for how you've worked so heavily in my heart this week. Um, Lord, I, I, I see in my own life how it's so easy to lay the law down. Um, and God, it can be far more difficult to uh, extend that grace and Lord, I pray that we would see the balance that's in the both. They don't, they actually don't fight against one another. They work in accord. And uh, Lord, may we, may, may, may we realize that. We should not err with being all grace and no rules or anything. And God, we also shouldn't err with believing that all those rules will bring about righteousness. Instead, Father, I pray that you would teach me as as a man, as a pastor, as a husband, as a father, as a friend, and as a neighbor, God, to, to couple the two together, to realize that I cannot expect the law to do what only ultimately grace can do. And Lord, I pray that you'd help each one of our families. I pray that you'd help uh, each person that's here that has been placed in an arena where you desire for them to minister. And uh, Lord, I pray that we would uh, do exactly that, that we would advance into those, uh, into those scenarios, into those situations with a heart of, of love. Thankful for how you dealt with that woman at, uh, that was caught in the act of adultery. That God, you, you showed her that the love and the favor was already there. And from that love and favor, you told her to go sin no more, to go, to go live a life of freedom that's found already in Christ. Lord, help me to live that this week. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.